I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Oh, hey, Chris. Hey, Dennis. Jesse. Remember remember how we used to do a podcast all the time? Mm-hmm. We still do. We're right here. Oh, right yeah, that's right. That's right. Hey, before we get started into whatever the heck you guys want to talk about today, uh, we have a new Patreon supporter, so we got to give a shout out to Alex Reinhardt. Nice. Yeah. Hey, Alex. Alex. Thank Alex, you. Thanks for being a supporter. And if you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash liturgy. Lots of cool prizes there that you can get. At different levels. And every and, Patreon uh, supporter gets a free night at the Johnson Farm in Wisconsin. So just call Chris <laughs> at 608-whatever and make your Kind of like the Hotel California. Yeah. yeah, and Dennis will give you a back rub. So that's a plus. <laughs> that's at the $500 a month level. <laughs> I would consider so, that. You can have all these, you can have all these $499 donations coming in now. What? <laughs> it's going to be $501. Man, it's, have you ever seen the movie Groundhog Day? Where yes, Bill yes. Murray gets up there and he auctions himself off, and then his friend goes up there to auction himself off, and somebody somebody uh, uh, bids two bits for him, and that's what he goes for. Chris Elliott, oh my gosh, so good, uh, gentlemen. What are we talking about today, Jesse? We're talking about uh, uh, current plans to reopen churches and the celebration of mass for the public. For mass consumption? Mass consumption, yes. Yeah. So, hey, so, all right, so I'm in Wisconsin. Jesse, I presume you're still in uh, Illinois. Sorry, I am. Not, sorry about yeah. that, Jesse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's okay. It yeah, so we're to approximately 7 million of us. <laughs> so, Wisconsin, at least uh, in the Diocese of La Crosse, there's the option of Sunday Mass on Pentecost Sunday, which is uh, May 31st. What are things looking like in uh, Illinois? Uh, there is a very intricate uh, phase set of phases, including phase one slash one A, and then there is a one B, and so on and so forth until we get to phase two, and that matches up, I guess, with or as a part of the governor's set of four phases for the entire state. So uh, the first thing that's going to happen is that you can you can go to mass uh, as long as it's ten people or fewer. This is right now or after you get to phase it, two? It starts, uh, I believe, March 29th. May, May, tw- May 29th. Yeah, sorry, yeah, May yeah. 29th. Yeah. Oh, well, th- that's something. I guess it's moving. Dennis, what about uh, in uh, Kansas? What are things there in terms of uh, churches opening? You know, it's a little hard to figure out. I think it changes today that you can go to Sunday Mass. Up till now, you had to get a lottery because it was – a Limit, limit of the number of people in the church. So it was uh-huh. closed for a while. A few weeks ago, they went into phase one reopening and you could call the parish and get in the lottery to be picked to go to actual Sunday mass. Mm-hmm. And now I think this weekend it's going to change that as long as you keep six foot distance, the limit of entrance is higher, mm-hmm. but I don't know the details. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like Kansas is the most liberal in its uh, reopening and Illinois well, is the most conservative. Missouri, <laughs> which is on the other side, just not far from here, you know, five uh-huh. minutes over the river is yeah. uh, much broader. They opened earlier. It's like all the yeah. regular stores and restaurants are open there now. Okay. 
Are no, people I, jumping the border to get to Mass? I guess so. I heard they're doing that in Illinois over to Wisconsin. So I, <laughs> that's I, to the I, bars, Dennis. I, yeah, that too. I actually thought about it. There's a church in Kenosha that's been having confession twice a week. So I have thought about it. Uh, I haven't I haven't made it there there yet, though. Mm. Yeah, well, I think, you know, in light of all of this is what I'd like to cover is how it is that these dioceses and churches are beginning to open up. Um, because this is what I've been working on the past couple of weeks with, uh, you know, with others and with the bishop and uh, deans in the, in the diocese and beyond. And I got to say, I mean, on the one hand, it, it, it's I'm glad we're at this point where we're talking about how to open things up rather than where we were two months ago or 10 weeks ago about how to close things down and how to celebrate mass without people there and how to pray from home. So it's better to be in this spot. But I have to tell you, in fact, I just saw on the Wall Street Journal uh, site today that businesses are finding it more difficult to reopen than they found it to close down. And this is the same thing with trying to get these churches open again. It is really complex and complicated and frustrating to a lot of people. Well, yeah, I mean, there's all these rules that you have to follow and the rules, albeit, you know, designed for safety and mm-hmm. you know, that makes sense. It doesn't necessarily merge with how our lifestyle was before. And so you could think if we were in these European churches that don't have pews and they just put the chairs in there, Mm -hmm. that actually might make sense for Mm -hmm. American churches to put chairs, you know, in the nave of the church as opposed to pews or whatever. But the thing that concerns me is, was Dennis, you you touched on this, this idea of like getting drafted (laughs) or winning a lottery to be able to go to mass. and, And how do you choose who in your congregation gets to go uh, like that? I think lots of problems are going to come because oh. of stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I think people would be glad to get back to mass, but very few, if any, are going to get done with that first Sunday mass. Say, boy, that was a good experience. Although <laughs> I have to say, I've never been so aware of my temperature than this week. Right? Because <laughs> when we reopened here, you can go into places, but before you can get in, they take your temperature. So I, I had to get my temperature taken to come on campus by the nurse. Then I went to the haircut place finally, and they took my temperature. Then I had the dentist was open, so I hadn't had a cleaning in a while, and I got my temperature taken there. It's like, man, my temperature. And they, all the mm. thermometers are wrong. One of the haircut ladies <laughs> told me my temperature was 95.8. <laughs> and I said, really? Is that right? You want to do that again? She's like, no, that's what it says. And, okay. Uh, uh, I guess so. 95.8. I mean, that's like near death, I think. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, you know, I'd like to describe for you guys uh, just some of what churches are going through and dioceses are going through to try to open up. But I want to end this um, with, all right, so when you do get to go back to church and you're entirely frustrated by what's all the things that have to take place, how is it that you can actually pray when you get there? So okay, that's good. what I have in mind. Didn't so you go I, to a big, long seminar on this? Are you certified uh, I, now? I, I offered it a big, long seminar on this, oh. which was uh, – and all of the great things – you're good. about to do it again. Oh, no, no, no. It's not going to be nearly that long. So, yeah, so we had a webinar on Wednesday where we uh, laid out our 53-point plan for opening churches. And you might think that's a little uh, over the top, but uh, 50. It's, not, it's not nearly as long as some. And – you know, I know this is this is not quite the same thing, but I was reading uh, that Major League Baseball has a 67-page draft 
on how to uh, reopen the league with with things all the way on to how to spit sunflower seeds and whatnot. So uh-huh. you know, some things we didn't have to cover. Are but, we going to go through paragraph by paragraph like no, we did? With no, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm just going to give you a handful of these. I can't but, believe you missed the draft joke opportunity there. Yeah, that oh, was there a good two one. Jokes there. I made the one that liturgical people wanted to hear. Okay, relax. <laughs> But to, but to help, um, you know, be a part of this, I didn't author this. I mean, it was, it was a diocesan thing, at least in the case of uh, lacrosse. I mean, we've read guidelines for the last two weeks from the USCCB. There's a good set from the Thomistic Institute in uh, Washington. There's uh, Catholic Doctors Association. There's the Federation of Diocesan Liturgical Commissions. We have our own Wisconsin Catholic Conference. There's the Federation of Diocesan Liturgical Commissions. We've read about six or eight or ten diocesan guidelines, especially from those you know, I, I guess most of them in, are in the South who had to come up with these in a lot quicker fashion than, than we did here. We still had more time. And then you had to take all these, get a draft together. The bishop had to consult with his own priests, his own uh, deans and presbyteral council and uh, other uh, experts to come up with this set of guidelines that's supposed to be, you know, give enough direction to be helpful, but, you know, broad enough that different churches and pastors and locations and situations can can meet these. So been doing a lot of that over the past couple of weeks. And here's here's just some of the things that that I think, you know, most diocesan guidelines are probably going to include. I mean, there's there's the normal things that uh, normal things. They're not really normal, I guess. But the things that are happening you know, like Dennis, when you're talking about going to, you know, the dentist or uh, the hair salon to get your uh, perm taken care of. Uh, My the, perm, did you say? <laughs> yeah. Did you get a perm? Uh, no, I got a haircut. You, yeah. you used to have uh, curly hair like that. No. Well, I I have naturally curly hair, Chris. It's not a perm. <laughs> but I've been kept, keeping it short enough that you couldn't see it. So No. All right. So there's the usual. So when you go to mass, you're going to have the six foot social distance thing. You're going to have uh, encouragement for the most vulnerable people to stay home. Signs up across your church that if you're sick or have any symptoms, you know, to turn around and go home, you're going to have limitations on uh, attendance. And like Jesse, you were saying these uh, uh, consequently, these whether it's lottery systems or being assigned to go to mass according to your last name or phone tree calls, or by registration, or by online sign-up, uh, all of these different methods about how you're going to... Or by uh, how much you donate to the parish. Very possibly, very possibly. See, this could be a problem, though. If you if you end up uh, jumping the border and going up to Racine or Kenosha or something like that, they might not let you in because you're not even on the parish. They're just trying to accommodate their own parishioners. Hey, you know, like, I could be on multiple parish lists at once. That's not a yeah. problem. My, you, my, my biggest question, though, Chris... Is am I still going to be able to sit in the the last pew? That's I don't want them to do anything to move me up any further. All right. Well, that's probably not going to work that way. So, in addition to these things that the church has to do, that other businesses and other things have to do, here's some specific church things that parishes are trying to make happen. And again, one is about pews, right? And so, to maintain these distances and whatnot, every other pew or every uh, every two intervening pews are going to be taped off or cordoned off. So you're only going to have people sitting in either every other or every third pew. You're going to have the usual tape probably on the aisles so, you, so that you know when you're going up into communion line where to stand. 
Okay? Mm. Uh, you're probably going to be seated by a, a, a masked usher when you get to the door who's going to – I saw this uh, – also this article about when they – you know how when you get into an airplane, they have this apparently logical system with uh, different groups. Mm-hmm. Now they're going to uh, load planes and uh, unload planes from the back of the plane – to the first, so you don't have to be walking past or stepping that's, over people. That's been proven the most efficient way to uh, plane and deplane. It's been yeah. proven. Yeah. Well, they're going to uh, do the same sort of thing probably in your church. That you're not going to be able to sit in your usual spot. You're going to have to sit uh, uh, in the next available pew. So you're not step. I mean, you, you can't sit on the end and have people stepping over you and things mm-hmm. like that. You know what they're doing in a parish near here is they're leaving every other pew mm-hmm. empty. And then the priest is going to walk through the empty pews and distribute communion to people while they kneel in the pew they were for mass. How about that? Yeah. Well, l- let me say something about communion just a little bit. Cause I mean, that's really the, the trickiest and most frustrating thing of all this is, is the rights surrounding uh, reception of Holy communion. But after you get in your pew, there's going to be no hymnals. There's going to be no worship aids. There's going to be no prayer cards because all of these things uh, can't easily be sanitized. So all of those things are supposed to be removed. And parishes that have the wherewithal are to send out electronic worship aids. So you can look at these if you want to on your this is all kind of shocking. I did not know. Wow. Oh, well, this is why I think this podcast can be helpful is uh, if you're not, you know, in on on having to consider all of these things, then you really don't realize how complicated this is and how frustrating this is to your pastors trying to do all this. And, you know, after we did our little webinar the other day, you know, with this, you know, four pages worth of things, we still had loads of questions come in because not everything was accounted for, right? So you try to keep things at a streamlined, helpful, you know, minimum, but then there's a thousand other questions that come up that have to be accounted for. Anyway, what about singing? What have you guys heard about singing during coronavirus uh, uh, days? Uh, you're not supposed to sing because you can oh, bend your little it, droplets further. Yeah. Than sing, Whoa, right? Or start man. to sing with a mask on, too. Yeah. So I, hey, I heard that when you chant Gregorian chant, less droplets come out of your mouth. So maybe we should just revive that. That's yeah. what I heard. There's some truth in that, actually. So, well, first of all, choirs are are in most places probably eliminated. You might be able to have a a cantor or something like that just for the safety of the choir. But even uh, among and within the congregation, you'll see diocesan directives that say singing is forbidden. Because basically, like sneezing or coughing and singing is apparently in the same category, it's just with the, the force of air coming out of your, your lungs and your mouth, it, you, the six foot distance isn't enough. All right. So some dioceses are forbidding singing. Some are saying you have to have a mask. Some say you have to sing quietly. Uh, I mean, it's, it's all across the board. And so this part of the problem is that, you know, new discoveries and new recommendations come in all the time. I saw so, in the new- so Do we have to take that hymn, How Can I Keep From Singing Out of the, the Hymnal Now? <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell you how. Well, but you know, well, you know, even this, I saw in the news today, now the there's this big back and forth between is the CDC going to release norms for reopening churches? And this is a story in itself. To this point, there haven't been any. So well, it's you no- know what happened since we've been talking? What? Not that I haven't been paying attention to you, but my news feed just came up on my computer. Trump has officially declared houses of worship as essential. 
and says governors must open them and he's going to wow. force them to if they don't. Wow. How about wow. that? How about that? I'll I'll see, see what that, that means. See, but th- again, this has been part of the, 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 at least from a liturgical standpoint, but, but also from others is no sooner do you offer a set of s- suggestions, guidelines, than a new law comes out either from the church, from the Holy See, from the state, from the local health department, from the federal or government. The president. Or the president. And so it's, 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 it's constantly moving. Uh, but in any case, yeah. And so the singing question is a problem. And so uh, there are suggestions about, well, how can you do this? I mean, uh, I think a good one would be just to sing. I mean, what's the first things you're supposed to sing anyway, Dennis, in the liturgy? Three dialogues. Yeah. I mean, singing amen, is, you'd think would be must, much less riskier than singing four verses of uh, how can I keep from singing or something like that. Well, uh, or, less risky to your spiritual life anyway. <laughs> what, do some Taze type of things. Yeah. Uh, but even, you know, what is, what is our friend Adam Bartlett's, what, what is, what is uh, liturgical chant all about? It's this kind of song speech. It's not, you know, this operatic, you know, full throated type of singing. So it would be actually more safe and conducive for singing at this time. But I mean, these are the types of things that your pastors and your, your bishops and your music directors are all trying to do. You know, the masks and the glove questions uh, are, Everywhere. I mean, masks are recommended. They're not required. And so there's one thing about the faithful wearing masks. But what about your priest? Should the priest be wearing a mask throughout the whole of mass? Mm. As long as it matches the vestments. It's got to be the appropriate. (laughs) And, you know, these are some of the things that at least uh, say that Thomistic Institute. Uh, document comes out with, right? You're trying to balance or bring together uh, safety and precaution with, you know, uh, a certain level of dignity and reverence to the uh, to the celebration yeah. of the Eucharist. You know, Michael Lang didn't think of this, Father Michael Lang, when he wrote Turning Toward the Lord, but outer intim. You're not breathing on people, right? So there's another argument for those in the East. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose in most sanctuaries, uh, they would say this: the, the altar's far enough away from the first right. pew. But they do say, so what, what we're recommending and others too, is that you don't put the people's um, hosts or breads on the corporal right beneath your mouth, but the priest should move them to the side of mm. the altar so he's not speaking over them and breathing over them and things. But again, you get an idea of all the things you're trying to think of, and then there's twice as many things you haven't thought of. You've got to try to introduce still. Yeah. Chris, so the, you have one question though, mm-hmm. in all of this discussion, are we talking about things that are temporal, or are we talking about things that are really going to start to make their way into permanency in this country? Uh, it depends who you ask. Uh, many people do, in fact, have that fear that, you know, hey, I got by watching TV masks this long. I'll just keep doing that. Or yeah. what if the hey, sign of peace never comes back? Chris? What <laughs> well, you can read about that, Dennis, in the oh. latest issue of uh, Autoramus Bulletin. Uh-huh. I mean, you're not the only person who writes for the Autoramus Bulletin, you know. That's true. Uh, uh But yeah, some and, you know, I think we, you know, we should do a podcast actually on. Uh, kind of in this 
coronavirus is a kind of a control alt delete to kind of reboot from uh from the missile itself and look at some of these practices well it makes sense because it's called the germ so (laughs) father martis always uh neglect uh refrain from calling it that he'd say because germs are something that people don't want to get we want you to get the germ Mm -hmm. but uh um but yeah to, to your point jesse i mean yeah, some people do think that um, some of these abnormal practices might stick around longer than they ought. Uh, I'm not quite as fearful uh, of that, but um, yeah, I'd say it's it's uh, potentially a risk. So, uh, but now, just a couple more things about the communion, right? And then we can get on to some. Uh, how are you going to pray through all this, uh, this, this? These bizarre but necessary things. You know, so they're not. There's to be no procession with uh, the gifts. You know, even in many places, you're not supposed to even take up a collection. You're not supposed to pass a basket anyway. You might be able to use those baskets with long handles. Some places are saying to have like collection boxes, but nothing's to be brought mm. up to uh, to the altar, especially not the gifts. Um, you know, we're we're trying to remind people that. You know, if you if you go to mass, nobody's required to receive the Eucharist. Um, Everybody is required, however, to uh, join in the sacrifice offering uh, themselves with God, the father. And so I I do think the communion question is going to make most people the most nervous. And so, you know, go to mass, offer your offer the sacrifice. uh, But, you know, if you're nervous about receiving communion, you don't have to do that. Give the real sacrifice of your life, not this fake coronavirus sacrifice of your life. Well, a lot of people, that's all. It's pretty real thing. I don't know. But, um, yeah, offer offer all those uh, anxieties and fears, you know. But you know, imagine when it does time to go to communion, you're sitting on the end of the pew and somebody needs to get past you, but you're not going to go. Well, they can't be stepping over you. So some places are saying, well, you've got to get in line at least and kind mm-hmm. of go through the, the machinery of the of the procession. So you're not crossing paths with uh, with other people. Would that would that be a thing that eliminates you from the ability to go to mass is whether you're going to receive or not? No, no. See, and this is one of the. You know, uh, bishops have been considering options. I mean, one option is to offer mass, but not communion. One is to offer communion, but not mass. That is to say a communion service outside of mass. Uh, One is to offer mass and communion at the same time. A fourth option put forward by the Dominicans is to uh, have mass, no communion, and then do a communion service afterwards. The thinking being that there could be more, there's more leeway for kind of, uh, sanitary precautions like masks and other things like that. So, I mean, there's four options right now about, uh, or right there about how to receive communion, you know, which is the best one. And of course, you know, the, the biggest, um, you know, kind of conundrum is, uh, you know, can bishops limit communion to the hand or are people still allowed to receive on the tongue? And if they are, uh, if the bishops can do that, should they do that? If people receive on the tongue, is there another set of protocols that needs to accompany that? A second communion line or having people receive on the tongue receive last or sanitizing hands and fingers between each uh, communicant? I mean, it, it, this is this is endless frustration i think to to many people and i assume the precious blood is off the table unintended 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, about the time. That's right, Jesse. Right. So you, you make a, a norm like that, that there's no uh, communion from the chalice and you think you've got it covered. And then someone says, but I'm a, a, I have a gluten intolerance and I can only receive from the chalice. So then you say, OK, so then you got to backtrack and you say, OK, well, you can have communion from the chalice, but it has to be a separate chalice and it has to be over to the side of the altar. And the the problems just keep multiplying themselves, you know, almost to the point where. You get through this list, and I admit in my own mind, I think sometimes, you know, if this is what it's going to take, I think I'm just going to wait. I, <laughs> I, I can agree with that to a certain degree because at a certain point, again, I'm just going to bring this up because I just really don't like the idea of, like, winning a lottery to go to mass and, like, just how do you decide? If you can only have 10 people in your church and your parish is 2,000 people, you know how long it would take for your whole parish to be able to go to mass? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, Jesse, that's a great point. And But what are the alternatives? All right, Karstens, well, this is just too much of a hassle, so don't do it. You know, never mind that people actually had to risk their life once upon a time to do this. And if you have to wear a mask or you have to receive communion in the hand or you can't sit in your own pew, well, that's pretty small potatoes compared to what some people have got to go through. So I'm, I'm going both, uh, torn in my own mind. And even, too, you know, the question about lotteries and if only 10 people can get in, well, that's 10, that's 10 people. More than not versus yeah. no people. And, and, I, and I will say, like, you know, going to the grocery store and all that stuff. I mean, there's way more people in the grocery store and all of these things. And they seem to do things fairly safely in terms yeah. of transactions and things yeah. like that. So, yeah. but you remember the old story Kevin Thornton used to tell that when he was a kid, they would be forced to go to confession. As Kevin, a group. Kevin Thornton only tells old stories. Well, yeah, because he's an older guy. Those were his glory days. But the nuns used to put you on one side of the church for confession if you had mortal sins. And the other side mm-hmm. was if you didn't have mortal sins. It was like, mortal sins to wow. Everybody else to the right. <laughs> I don't so, remember that story. Are you serious? No. Yeah. I hope so, they didn't uh, do that in India because the women sit on the right side and the men <laughs> sit on the left side. Well, we could say who needs transformation, life of grace, divinization more on the left. You go to communion on the right. You wait till next week. Yeah. I don't you know. Like that at all. But all right. So we, I, we've just talked for 10 or 15 minutes just about a, a very small amount of things that have to take place for mass to begin and, you know, and the frustrations that that involves. And so I, I would guess I'd just like to wrap this up with, okay, so let's say you do get to go to mass, but it's going to have to be under all of these types of rules and guidelines and restrictions. How can you actually go to that mass and not let it become a source of frustration and anger, hmm. sadness, despondency for you, but, uh, be what it's meant to be an occasion to to pray. So I guess I would just offer these types of things. Okay, uh, go ahead, Chris. And you, you guys add your own or add on, whatever. But I think that, uh, you know, and they say too that when the, in, in some of the places that have opened up, it hasn't been a rush of Catholics to try to, the lottery system hasn't been an issue, Jesse. It's not, people are not wrestling to get in. Uh, at this point, I think there's enough fear and anxiety that that hasn't been an issue. But I guess the first thing, and these are the types of things I would like to I'd tell myself or tell my kids is that, you know, you're there as as a part of the mystical body of Christ and your presence there is uh, in some way salvific to those who are not there, who for whatever reason have decided, you know, that they're not ready to come back to mass. And so, 
make that be one point that you, the mystical body needs you to be there <laughs> sort of suffering through this abnormal celebration of the mass. I'd say the uh, a second thing would be, you know, get into those readings, do the Lexio beforehand and after, and the readings will be proclaimed. And it's paramount, especially these times, to hear them with um, with ears finely attuned in ways that maybe you didn't under so-called normal conditions uh, hear the readings. The third thing I'd say is uh, get on that altar, whether you're going to receive communion or not. Everybody has the opportunity to get into that chalice and get onto that patent and to offer all of these frustrations and hopes and fears uh, 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 through the hands of the priest, along with uh, Christ, the victim to God, the father, and let the Holy Spirit transform and divinize all those things. I mean, th this is stuff we say we profess to believe. And this is uh, a time during these uh, re reopening of public masses where these can be especially salvific. And I'd say just the last time, the last thing, there's certainly more, is just come to these masses with a, a lot of patience and a lot of charity and a lot of love for your pastors and the people around you and your diocesan officials and bishops who um, that it's going to be a frustrating thing. If you think you're frustrating, your pastor is much more frustrated than mm -hmm. you are. So have a lot of love and charity in your heart uh, as you go back to mass. Make sure your blood sugar is at an appropriate level and your caffeination level. Could. These are things that I would need to do for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can anyway. say that I have had the opportunity to go to mass and confession once throughout all of this. And that, and it was just me. It was not my wife and kids, but I can tell you that, it is definitely worth it still. And I don't think I've ever focused as much in a mass um, as I did at that time because I didn't know when I was going to get to go again. And I didn't know when all of this is going to be lifted. And so it definitely is worth it. And it's all of this stuff. It's you know tough to go through, but it is totally worth it. And we need to figure out how to do so in a very safe way at the same time. So it's going to be a struggle to hear that, you know, some places say you can't sing. I mean, that breaks my heart uh but we have to do what we have to do just yeah. whip out your copy of musicum sacrum and sacrosanum concilium and say look this isn't the nature of liturgy to sing see what happens or just go and buy a bunch of our online certificate programs so that you can be totally caught up and trained on the liturgy when you can actually start to sing again there you go all good ideas except i was kidding you know that right <laughs> <laughs> Just in case anybody's wondering, sarcasm. <laughs> we need to. Like, I'll put like a sarcasm voice filter on you so yeah. that it's like you on helium, and that way people will know what you think. <laughs> you got it. Okay, should we answer a question, guys? Oh yeah, let's do it. So why go to the liturgical institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church. You won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? 
Hey, Dennis. Yeah. Hey, Jesse. Hey, De- hey, don't you ever ask me a question about somebody asking a question? Hey, Jesse, do we have a question? <laughs> yeah, we have. Yes, we hey, have. Jesse, we have a question. Do we have a question? I have a question. Do we have a question? <laughs> hey, I'll ask the questions here. More uh, importantly, do we have an answer? Uh, well, I hope so. This question All comes right. from Jenna. Jenna says, hello, Jesse, Dennis, and Chris. Hello, Hello, Jenna, Jenna, Jenna. Jenna. (laughs) Uh, She says, before the gospel is read, the people mark their foreheads, lips, and heart with a cross. Why? What is the significance of this, and where does it come from? Go, Chris. Uh, You you led me to believe, Jesse, that this question is going to be easier than that. Uh, is it your job to like ex- just be available to answer these questions? Yeah, Don't they keep you in a room in lacrosse and just say, answer the question, liturgy monkey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're more right than you know. Uh, this is a good question. First of all, uh, what the, what the rubrics actually say is the deacon of the priest says a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark, for example. Uh, and then at the same time, he makes the sign of the cross on the book and on his forehead, lips and breast. And the people do uh, the same. It'll say that in the general instruction. But in the in the missal, it doesn't say what the deacon or priest or the people should be thinking or even saying quietly. You know, after the proclamation of the gospel, when the deacon says uh, the gospel of the Lord and the people say praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, the rubric says that the deacon uh, kisses the book and he says quietly through the words of the gospel, may our sins be wiped away. So there's no text on the front end of this while he's making the sign of the cross and we are too. So uh, what is its significance? This is a very unofficial answer, uh, but I've, I've always been told, and so I tell people, that uh, something along the lines is, is you pray that, pray that the Lord may be uh, in your mind and on your lips and on your heart. And in fact, that's when, when the deacon gets the blessing uh, before that, uh, the, the priest says, cleanse, uh, let's see, um, says, may the Lord be in your heart and on your lips that you may proclaim his gospel worthily and well in the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit. So I think it's something along that lines. When you make the sign of the cross on your forehead, lips, and breast, you're praying that, in a sense, God will speak to your mind, that you will in turn proclaim uh, his word uh, on your lips and, in fact, receive that word with the ears of your heart. That's what I think. But is what you think right? Mm, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I'll go with that. I thought there was a prescribed type of uh, language that we were supposed to use. Okay. No. Well, that makes me feel a lot better now. Right. The priest, the deacon, or the faithful has nothing to say while he's making that gesture. So it's an outward gesture, but it's it's the right question. What's the internal prayer that should be accompanying it? So it's not just some mechanical, you know, go through the motions. What's the what's the spirituality that accompanies that? Uh, motion, and I think it's as we said. You know, may God be in your, in your mind, and on your lips, and in your heart. All right, Jenna. I hope that answers your question. And if you want to ask us a question, you can email us at questions at dot com, or you can tweet Dennis at DMAX Super Taster tastes more than you do. Now, no, hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. Is it is it is it really DMAX Super Taster tastes more than you do, or is it just no, the first part of it? The name is DMAX Super Taster. Tastes more than you do is commentary. Yeah. I don't know how these Twitters work, so 
just want to clarify that. <laughs> I was talking to my mom the other day. She said, I sent out a Twitter on my tweet. And I was like, oh, you got that backwards. Uh, okay. You guys really interrupted the flow because I have a user or listener submitted uh, Chris method of delivery. And uh, this comes from Katie Jeffco. She says, the Aboriginal people of Australia used carved or painted sticks to deliver messages between groups. Perhaps one could use a relay system to get it there. I really like that one. Yeah, I know I know who that uh, person is. So, uh, And I, tr- I trust her judgment. She's got another one for next week, too. She's really, she's really trying to win this uh, gift package from us. So if you have creative ways to let Chris know of a liturgy question, please submit them. He loves them. Uh, so thank you and God bless. Now that's a podcast. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Adoramus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College. <laughs>